We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we're here to break down the All-22 coaches film on the defense in the Giants victory over the Saints in week four. Nick, before we get into any of that, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Doing well, man. Talking some Giants football. We got some baseball on the television as well. Um, doesn't look too hot right now, but by the time people are listening to this, they'll know the outcome of that Yankees-Boston game. It doesn't look too hot for you, per se, because you're a Yankees fan. But I'm not a Yankees fan, Nick. I'm a Mets fan. and But you're not, but you're not a Yankees hater, I don't believe. I'm not you. a Yankees hater. You're correct. Now, I used to be a Yankees hater. As a child, I was... Known as a child's not the correct term as a young <laughs> preteen into my teen year, my young teen years, I was known as that asshole, annoying friend who considered myself an ABY fan. Not because I didn't like the Mets at the time. My mom's always been a Mets fan, but I did get more into them later in life. I picked up baseball later in life, but I consider myself an anyone but the Yankees fan as a kid because I was that kid who was so disgusted at the time with the Yankees payroll versus the rest of the MLB. Because remember, back in the day, there wasn't the Dodgers who were spending like they're spending now. There wasn't the Red Sox who are spending like they're spending. Now. Even the Mets right now spend like just as much as the Yankees. Back then, it was like the Yankees and essentially no one else. There wasn't the luxury cap crap that there is now. It was just unfettered with spending, and they were just tripling teams, quadrupling teams. And I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Why do we allow this in a professional sport where there's just a team that's just spending so much more than anyone? Obviously, they're winning. So I was annoying. I used to hate the Yankees, but I've gotten over that as I've grown into becoming a big Mets fan. I've learned to not care about the Yankees. It's a lot like my Giants Jets stuff. Like some of my friends that are Jets fans hate the Giants. Some of my friends that are Giants fans hate the Jets. I've never hated the Jets. My brother can't understand it. He doesn't can't process why I don't hate the Jets. He hates the Jets, by the way. He can't process it. It's because they don't play in the same conference and division as the Giants. Like the Yankees don't matter to the Mets. The Jets don't really matter to the Giants. So I don't hate him anymore. So, you know, I'll root for you tonight. Go ahead. Get your win. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'm not a huge baseball fan and I love the Mets as well. So um, for reasons, 
but I don't like the Boston Red Sox. I, I never have. So that's uh, that's one thing. Yeah, you don't like Boston in general, I feel like. I love the city. I just hate their sports teams. Yeah, there's something about you in Boston. It's like last show you said road game. You're talking about a road win against the Saints. The way you say road is very – you have like a Philly accent when you say road. Has anyone ever told you that? No. See, the whole Philly accent thing, I don't even really know what a Philly accent is. Somebody's pointed it out to me, not not about myself, but said, oh, that's how people from Philadelphia sound. And I was like, oh, I never really thought about how people from Philadelphia sound. But what is it, road? Yeah, there it is. The ways that's that's very <laughs> Philly. The way you just said road. See, I, I couldn't even tell you what a what a Philadelphia accent sounds like. Well, watch the show Mayor of Easttown. I think actually you might have already seen a couple episodes of that. Just being in the same room, I believe. I think your girlfriend was watching that show. So ask her about it. Watch a little Mayor of Easttown. That's uh, that's how you'll see a lot of the Philly accent. But um, let's get to the Giants. Let's talk about this football game. Let's talk about this defensive effort. I've been long pounding the table these last three weeks that defense has been a lot better than the Giants fans are giving credit for. Like, when you watch the film, the defense is not so bad. Yes, the pass rush isn't great. It's not getting there. Yes, sometimes the coverage is soft and not getting there as well. But overall, they're forcing a lot of three and outs. And, like, for the first three weeks, the Giants offense wasn't holding their end of the bargain. This week, the Giants offense wasn't really holding their end of the bargain until they got down 21-10 with six minutes left. And then it was rocket ships to the moon for the Giants offense. But... Defense came up big in certain spots this game once again, and I really liked what I saw in some in some areas. There's some, obviously, we're going to see the big test this week when they face the Cowboys. Like, will Dak Prescott and that offensive line just tee off on this defense? And there's a big concern over, like, this run defense got chewed up by the Saints. The Saints went for 170, but that kind of brings me to my first point, Nick. To me, the reason the Saints were able to run for 170 is because of the way Patrick Graham played the, the Saints in this game. I mean... You saw it on the film. I saw it on the film, especially from that end zone angle. How many light boxes did the Giants show? Like there were times in this game where the there were multiple, there were tons of times in this game where the Saints had a hat on a hat if they wanted it in the run game with the guys in the box versus the blocker. So a hat on a hat means the Saints have six guys lined up to block a play. The Giants only have six defenders in the box to stop it. And I think this is just what the good coaches are doing nowadays. And Patrick Graham's one of them dare you to run the ball because look at what happened in this game, man. The saints ran the ball for 170. But they didn't score that many points, you know, like they had 170. Great. Good job. You had a good run game. And what did that lead to 21 points in this game? So ultimately speaking, if you give up only 21 points and if the offense shows what they can, you can win games. And so I'm good with this. I'm good with Patrick Graham doing. I mean, it was, it looked a lot better last year when they had Dalvin Tomlinson in there. Don't get me wrong. You know, it was much more fun when they had Tomlinson. They weren't giving up a buck 70 on the ground like they did in this game, but man, I'm okay with it. And did you kind of notice the same thing? Patrick Graham was just daring them to run and just saying, you know what? Run. I don't care. Run. Well, you, you dare them to run. You want them to run, but it's not just because you're allowing them to run. You, you're buzzing your safety down quite often to fill the B gap and kind of adds, adding an extra defender into the equation post-snap when you want to play the run aggressively post-snap. So pre-snap, yeah, you may be in a too high look, but you're going to drop Logan Ryan down aggressively. And the Giants did that. They played a lot of cover three buzz. They played a lot of defenses that wanted to invite the run, but that's also the identity of the New Orleans Saints. They want to run the football. And the Giants, they made a bunch of adjustments up front in this game to combat what the Saints were trying to do. And we'll get into all that shortly. Yeah, for sure. But I definitely thought they did a good they that was their game plan here. And I thought they were I thought this was the first game where they also had another really specific like game plan. Like this like they've been doing that all year basically and basically all Graham's tenure in my mind at least. They've been daring teams to run and basically saying whatever. Take what you can get versus the run. We're going to give you some favorable looks for your run game. It's not going to matter. But it's the way the Giants play the run though. And it's smart. It's what Brandon Staley right. is doing. It's what a lot of teams are yeah. doing. They, they have those, those big boys up front play a gap and a half. Essentially. They're not pen. You don't see the giants penetrate upfield. Like you see a lot of other defensive lines. They kind of sit there along the line of scrimmage a lot and read a little bit. It's not a, a straight read, but they attack and then they, they position themselves in their gap assignment, but they also allow themselves to break off into the backside gap if they need to. So it's a good way to gain an advantage from a number standpoint against the run. So you want them to run the football because you trust in your personnel to be able to uphold that defensive style. Yeah, that for that reason and because you know that this game is won and lost in the passing game. I think it's a combination of those two yeah. things. And I think, you know, 
And it leads me to my next point because it's funny. It's like you read my mind. You don't have my notes in front of you. So just to, just to, you know, full transparency, Nick is not reading my notes here, but it reminded me of something I heard today from Joe judge on the Joe judge report. And he talked about it, how he doesn't want to be a defensive line that shoots gaps up field and creates seams to get blocked down or kicked down. He says he keeps talking. He mentioned it three separate times. He talks about how important it is for them to build the wall and set the edge as a defensive line to reset the line of scrimmage. He says every single day of practice, defensive line starts with the same drill. And it's the, it's basically a drill of this exact thing, like setting that wall, building that wall. And they never want them shooting up field to create that seam. And I think that's how they're taught to play it. And ultimately I think it's a good way for this giants defense moving forward, no matter who is the coordinator, like if they lose Graham for whatever reason, but I was curious before we get into the game, do you think this is also partially the reason why we see so consistently the giants struggling to get pressure on the quarterback when they drop seven and rush for it? Cause most, you know, most plays are drop seven rush for anyway in the NFL. Do you think that plays a role in it? Depends on the situation and the context. It's, if it's an obvious passing situation, not as much. I think that's just more of a Jimmy and Joe's thing that the Giants have. I mean, Leonard Williams is one of the best interior pass rushers in the league, but the edges are are still, they're young. And Lorenzo Carter isn't exactly kind of showing that he took another step, which isn't something that we really expected coming off of an Achilles injury from last season. But when the opposing team runs play action passes, then absolutely. And we saw that with the Giants offense, they ran a lot of play action and that would just freeze the Saints just long enough to allow their pass, the Giants pass blockers to get into a good enough position to really set up and execute their blocks well. The play action pass can help you do that. So yeah, I think there's some uh, some validity to that as well, Dan. Okay, cool. I wanted to get your take on that and kind of figure out if that plays a role in because, you know, it's so different um, than what we saw during the better years. The better years, those D linemen were just geared up trying to shoot gaps and it's not like we created a crazy amount of pressure those years that's so not like the best example counter example of it or anything like that but i just feel like it's so different than what we've seen and ultimately i'm on board with it i think this is the right way to coach up the defense and yeah, obvious you- passing situations they pin their ears back and they sure yeah, yeah of course they're not trying to build the wall for obvious pass downs i'm not not trying to say that at all of course and i know you're not saying that either all right so let's get into the game here we talked a little bit of like the overall stuff, but actually I wanted to get into some of the notes you had overall on the defense. Cause I thought some of them were really interesting, not necessarily the, you know, specific drive by drive stuff yet. So what were your kind of overall takeaways about some of the schemes you saw from Graham, some of the overall concepts and just kind of the game plan from Graham in this one. I felt like, um, there was a lot of cover three buzz. Like I said, with either Xavier McKinney and Logan Ryan dropping down, saw the saints taking advantage of the giants coverage. Giants were playing soft and giving a lot of space to the speedsters that the saints have. They may not have a lot of top end type of receivers, but they have a lot of fast type of guys like Deontay Harris, who is just an absolute lightning bolt. Every time he touches the football, it felt like the giants were in a lot of cover six, a lot of cover four type of coverages, you know, buzzing the safety down and cover three, but I really wanted to touch on Tay Crowder as well, man, because this is a huge responsibility for Tay Crowder stepping into Blake Martinez's role and you're facing a team that wants to run the football on you and has a really potent and explosive rushing attack led by Alvin Kamara, man. So in the fourth quarter, Dan, I know you watched the film. So in the fourth quarter, the Saints added an extra offensive lineman in kind of a big personnel package. They brought in the backup center, forcing the Giants' hand to adapt to their rushing attack. It's it's difficult to defend wide zone rushing teams when they put an extra blocker to the strength, along with the tight end who's already there. This could be another tight end. The Giants do that a lot on offense, double Y sets, things like that. It could be a fullback or it could be an extra offensive lineman. By doing this, what the Saints did, they created an extra gap responsibility to the outside, which puts stress on the defense, but more so the linebackers probably, specifically, I should say. I felt Crowder was solid in this area, adapting to this, because he's put into conflict a lot on those wide zone type of plays. And we talk about defenders getting put in conflict a lot in the passing game. This is a way offenses can put linebackers into conflict. Because if an offense is running wide zone, Crowder can try to fit that run quickly and try to penetrate and undercut the running back and get a tackle for a loss. But if he does that, the Saints can bounce the run outside and use their extra numbers in that area to kind of gain an advantage. And basically the Giants would be minus one without Crowder there. But at the same time, if Crowder attempts to scrape over the top of the blocks and beat the run to the outside to kind of meet Alvin Kamara at the line of scrimmage, then that opens the cutback lane. 
And this is how offenses kind of put those linebackers in conflict, like I was saying. Because Crowder really needs to be smart in this situation. And there were a lot of plays, man, where the Saints did this to Reggie Raglan and to Tay Crowder. And it wasn't just specific to the fourth quarter either. They were doing this all game. It's just in the fourth quarter, they adapted their offense and brought in a big offensive line package. I mean, there were times where Kamara, he found those cutback lanes and got nice gains because these linebackers tried getting outside to kind of over-pursue Alvin Kamara, who is one of the more decisive running backs in the league, you know? And on those plays, man, it was contingent for the backside edge, that backside safety, or the cornerback to maintain their responsibility in the run game and make that tackle. And I felt like the Giants were solid at doing this for most of the game. I I wouldn't say it was perfect, but they were solid at doing it. And I mean, this is a, a way you put a lot of mental stress on a kid, right? I mean, Sean Payton, he really attempted to attack the Giants linebackers with that stretch zone or even empower rushing plays to the outside to get one of them to be a little bit over aggressive, creating cutback lanes because Blake Martinez was not there. And this was also a way to mitigate Jameis Winston from throwing the football and possibly throwing an interception. So they were able to gain an advantage or they thought they could gain an advantage on these Giants linebackers. They played it really really well. And before we dove into the defense, I kind of wanted to talk about the importance of Tay Crowder and Reggie Raglan and their role in what Sean Payton wanted to do against the Giants. They played well in this game. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it, Nick. There was a lot on their plate. Great game plan from Sean Payton. He knew he had to attack the Blake Martinez list Giants with the depth that they currently have at the inside linebacker position. But as we'll get to later in the show, man, I came away pretty impressed. Consider all things considered with how those inside linebackers played, given the stress that was put on them and really where they were, you know, what the expectations were for them coming into this game. All right, let's dive into a little bit deeper on, let's dive into things a little bit deeper on the defense side of the ball. There are still a few concepts I want to go over and players that I want to touch a little deeper on, but let's break this thing down and with, uh, you know, by drive, I guess, and try to come up with some stuff that really stood out. So what's the first thing that stood out to you in this game from the defense? From the first drive, if we're diving into the first drive, I mean, the Giants gave up the first two plays and then were able to get pressure on that second first and 10 play. Lawrence had a had a big drive batting that ball down and then reading that screen to Tony Jones. That could have been like a, a big chunk 20, 25 yard gain by Jones. If he ends up catching that football with the two or three blockers in space, Giants were playing off a little bit. They had clear out routes, was really well designed by Sean Payton. Dexter Lawrence tries to penetrate inside and he quickly realizes what's going on and then gets to Tony Jones. That is one of the better plays. There was so many, one of the better plays, if you know what I mean, in this game from the defense, one of the more important plays. There were so many situations like that by this defense. I mean, there were tons that we're going to go over, but this man, it was just on a second down play, but if Dexter Lawrence didn't end up reading that, it could have uh, been huge and it could have swayed the entire game, even though it was early on in the affair. Yeah, because with that, the Giants 37 at the time. Ultimately, this leads to a punt this drive. That play was a three-yard loss. That was the one that stood out to me the most. Seeing it on the all-22 from the sideline angle, that was going for 20. That was going for 25. That might have gone for more if they hadn't had Dexter Lawrence make that individual play. I also thought one other interesting thing about this drive, I thought it was James, Shane is imminence had a really nice pass rush on third down there. It was a long developing one, but he used his hands well to get around one of the better right tackles in the NFL in Ryan Ramchak, get a little bit of pressure on Winston, cause him to throw a little bit faster than he wanted to underneath. Obviously there wasn't much there. The coverage was great as well, but good job by the giants. there. all things. And that's even more impressive about that too, was, O'Shane Zimenez gets chipped by Ty Montgomery. And this is a player that you and I both, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like we're not that as high on him as we were in the past. He hasn't necessarily been that great of a pass rusher, and he's definitely a liability against the run. But on that play, man, he gets chipped by Ty Montgomery, and then he gets engaged with Ryan Ramchek, uses both his hands as a double swipe, and then just kind of rips through the outside shoulder in a sense where he uses his own outside hand to kind of remove the contact that Ryan Ramchek has with his upfield arm, and then rips through that outside shoulder of, like you said, one of the better better tackles right tackles in the league and he also just kind of like uses a double swat at the end to kind of finish Ramchek off almost gets the sack here but forces an incomplete pass yep absolutely next drive Saints have a 10 play drive but it only goes 44 yards and ultimately it ends in a big 
fourth down stop by the Giants. Saints go for it on fourth and three. Try to run to the outside with Kamara. Giants string it out and make the stop. What were some key takeaways for you on this drive? Yeah, man. Williams made several big plays on this drive. He was giving problems to the guards on the interior. And the Saints attempted to trust Adam Troutman with the responsibility of blocking Leonard Williams on some of those duo runs. And you can't really run effective duo if you don't have a good blocking tight end. It just doesn't really work. And Troutman is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. But asking him to block Leonard Williams is just a bit too much. And I think that was by design. Patrick Graham put him over Adam Troutman on purpose to create a substantial mismatch in the Giants' favor. And I mean, that third and three play, by Logan Ryan was excellent coming downhill and knocking that ball away from Tony Jones. That was huge. And it set up the fourth down play where Leonard Williams comes up again and makes an excellent play from the backside. Logan Ryan also did a great job coming downhill and kind of boxing Alvin Kamara in and allowing Leonard Williams to make contact on him. So that was a great defensive stand from a unit that is hasn't lived up to our 2020 expectations, but definitely played really well in this game. Yeah, no doubt. And it was really just one drive, but it was a really bad drive for Logan Ryan last week against Atlanta. And I thought he had a really nice bounce back game in this game. I thought Ryan played much better in this game. This was a couple examples right there and just overall throughout the game. Next drive, Saints get the ball back. Still 0-0. Giants missed that stupid field goal that they decided to go for. Still don't really know why from fourth and one of the 16. But then the Saints miss a field goal of their own. They go on an eight-play, 35-yard drive and decide to kick a 58-yard field goal with Aldrick Roses. To this day, I don't understand that decision at all in that 0-0 game at this stage of the game with Aldrick Roses, who they, you know, his career at this point, he's not the kicker he was when he was the All-Pro for the Giants, the year where the Saints, I think, got the second All-Pro and Will Lutz. Like, it's not the same kicker anymore. And I thought this was a bad decision by Sean Payton personally. Uh, what else did you take away from this drive? I couldn't agree with you more, by the way. That was a, a really questionable decision, but man, what a great play by Adoree Jackson on that third down and five to yep. force that decision because Adoree Jackson clicks and closed down a hill on Ty Montgomery. He was just running a quick underneath slant trying to pick up the first down, and it was so fast for Jackson just to kind of come down and and make that tackle on Montgomery. Like Just a very... Uh, defining type of play on the road for Adoree Jackson, because if he doesn't make that perfect type of tackle, he picks up two more yards, Ty Montgomery, and then that drive is extended. You get another three downs. Defense gets even more tired out, which was really important in this game because the rushing attack of the Saints ended up tiring the defense out at certain points of this game. I really uh, wanted to just bring up the fact that Adoree Jackson really kind of helped save this drive and let, led, ended up leading to that uh, missed field goal by Aldrick Rosas, who was cut today, I believe, actually, Dan. Yeah, this, I don't know if you could blame him for that. I guess they could. I blame the coach for not going for it there on fourth and three. I think that was the right call, despite it not working the last drive. But I, I agree. I agree with that. And there was also uh, the first three plays of this drive, the Giants, they aligned in tight front, man. And they kept bringing that safety down into the box pretty aggressively. They were using three, three, five personnel, some two, four, five looks mostly on this drive. They wanted to utilize the tight front, which wasn't something they, they used too much in the uh, previous drive. So the tight front, again, that's a nose directly over the center. And then you have a four eye technique and another four eye technique, which is two players lined up on the inside shoulder of the tackle. Yep. And so let's get to the next drive after that, because the saints then come down and it's right after the one play drive by the giants saints come down and they kick and uh, I'm sorry, they lead a 13 play 75 yard touchdown drive. So what exactly happened on this one that caught your attention? Yeah, the Giants allowed uh, another touchdown right before halftime, man, which sucks. But the run, this is where I think the run defense started to buckle just a little bit. Just an eight-yard gain here, five-yard gain there, seven-yard gain, you know. Just a physical running style from this Saints team, whether it be Alvin Kamara, who's a little bit more, you know, juice and juking. And then there's Taysom Hill. And when, every time they brought Taysom Hill in there, I was like, dude, this guy runs incredibly hard. Like, I knew he was a physical runner, but he really showed up against the Giants in this game. And the Saints ran in a, on this drive, I believe it was, an out-and-up post combination against man coverage, which ended up leading to that touchdown to Juwan Johnson. And I felt like Juwan Johnson, who used to be a wide receiver, now he's a tight end, did a really good job selling an outside break on Jabril Peppers and just caused Jabril Peppers to turn his shoulders and hips slightly to the outside, which opened up that post to the middle of the field. Jameis Winston threw 
an anticipation pass over the middle to Johnson right before Logan Ryan can converge and help Jabril Peppers out. So that was a really just a, a nice play design by the Saints on this drive. Yeah, it was. And it's funny that this drive reminded me they had Chris Hogan. I was watching him run those routes, those classic Sean Payton routes. He actually caught a nice little six-yarder on this one. But, you know, the classic Sean Payton clear-out role that he's going to have on every offense. They signed him just for this role. I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, but in general, I think you did a good job breaking this one down. There's This was a good example of a drive where the Saints were able to create on the ground, and that helped them kind of, you know, move the football. And they even got – the Giants even got them into a second and 14 situation at one point on this drive. But – like you said, that deep pass to Montgomery is what kind of kept this going right into the two-minute warning. It's just another example, though, of this Giants defense giving up a touchdown drive just before the half. What do you make of this happening so consistently? I don't love it. I really don't. And I don't really know exactly what the issue is. Like, I don't think it's the players not rising to the occasion or anything like that. It just seems like every time the opposing offense is in this situation, they recognize the vulnerabilities of the coverage that the Giants are in, and then they attack. So it's credit where credit's due to the opposing offenses, but the Giants need to find ways to get off the football field. They did plenty of times in this game, but they did not on this drive. And on that third and nine pass to Ty Montgomery, that was against a Dory Jackson. This is a Dory Jackson against Ty Montgomery here in a three-by-one set with an H-back as the number three receiver. And the number two receiver is Ty Montgomery. He releases inside. Jackson rides the hip. He's in good position, but Jameis puts a good ball out there, throws him open, and there's really not much Dory Jackson can do about it there. And that's just man coverage. And Logan Ryan is the center field safety there. And the way the route was, it was a little bit shallow. It bent away from Logan Ryan. So he couldn't make a play on the football either. So sometimes you just got to tip your cap, but something has to be done here. And I would like for the giants to get a little bit more pressure in these situations as well. Something we haven't necessarily seen whenever teams are driving with time expiring. Yeah. And this was also a situation in this game. Not often for the giants as this happened. And we'll get into this in a second, but first we're going to take a quick break from to your word from our sponsor. Before we do that, where they gave up two straight touchdown drives. Like, I haven't seen that happen as of now. It was broken up by halftime, but the Giants punted the ball right, or I'm sorry, kicked the ball right off to the Saints. They went down and scored right away. So let's get into that three-play, 75-yard touchdown drive by the Saints. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick. Dot com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash BANTER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, so you don't see it happen often. You didn't see it happen often last year, at least, and even this year, not back-to-back like this. But, man, another thing you didn't see often was the big play that set up this drive, the long pass to Marquez Callaway, who's not, in my mind, a very good NFL receiver. You know, he got some preseason hype, undrafted free agent against James Bradbury. I mean, Bradbury came came away with a huge interception a few plays later uh, on the next drive later. But Bradbury's been getting burnt a little bit more than you saw during that first season with the Giants. Anything to make of that or, you know, just great. It was just a good play designed by the Saints and Bradbury not being able to really keep up here in the on, on the deep route. It was good play designed by the Saints and it was a good route by Marquez Callaway. He stems outside to get. Bradbury's hips turned towards the sideline and he does that Bradbury does a good speed turn to kind of get himself back into position but Logan Ryan bites up on Taysom Hill's horizontal cross here and he bites up just just enough to allow Marquez Callaway to kind of split the difference between James Bradbury and Logan Ryan Logan Ryan realizes it and he ends up kind of undercutting Marquez Callaway, but it's he's just maybe a step behind, and he was just a step slow. So Callaway ends up getting behind both Bradbury and Logan Ryan here. And I believe Bradbury thought that he had inside help here, and Logan Ryan should have been in position to to play this football here. He was just a little bit had his attention towards Taysom Hill, which happens. That's why you run that horizontal cross that we've been calling Jason Garrett to run for so long. That's why you run it to occupy that safety's eyes. I mean, Giants are in a three deep look here, middle of the field closed and the stem inside from Mark West Calloway is heading towards Logan Ryan. It's just Ryan is just a bit behind. And I think Ryan had an excellent game, like we said before, but this was a, a good route combination, a shot play, first play of the second half from the Saints. You'd love to see that aggressiveness as a play caller. If that was Jason Garrett, you know, we would be applauding him for it. And they were able to catch Giants catching Z's here. Yep, no doubt about it. And so that leads to the Taysom Hill eight-yard touchdown run, second and one from the Giants eight. So this one example, you know, the Giants tackling wasn't excellent, especially in the red zone, I thought, in this game. What did you make of that? <laughs> Dude, you're telling me, man. They, the Giants tackling was not excellent at all, man. Tay Crowder, who, I, like I said earlier, I felt like he had a good game. He was smashing the RB button several times. <laughs> Man, he was he was going for the strip of Taysom Hill, which I get, you know, especially because Taysom Hill, he was getting held up there. He was getting held up, so why not go for the football? The the Saints are driving down your throat. You know, they're just about to score. They're on the doorstep trying to get a takeaway. So I don't really fault Crowder for that, but the physicality of Hill was just impressive, to say the least. And, and that was one thing where I was like, uh-oh, this is not good without Blake Martinez in here to, to see – opposing offenses just jam the football down the Giants throat and we are not used to seeing that against Patrick Graham especially since we had Dalvin Tomlinson last year on the roster but that was that was an ugly end to this three-play drive yeah it was the the tackling I feel like has been a weird issue we weren't expecting this year but it has been an issue this season I hope that doesn't continue next drive really big play by the Giants uh you know a little bit of luck because not luck, but you know, one play after the touchdown was nullified, the big touchdown from Jameis Winston to Kenny Stills, which again was a penalty. It was a hold on Williams. And if they didn't make that hold, probably can't get that off clean. But 
right after that, the Saints just kind of chuck the ball up. I did not really understand this decision at all by Taysom Hill. Maybe that's why he's no longer the quarterback there. And they went to Jameis Winston, who hasn't looked that great himself either. Because Taysom Hill, just this is a really ill-advised throw. The pocket was collapsing on him. He steps up and just kind of heaves it up the field. And Bradbury just kind of high points it and comes down with a really nice play on the ball. I mean, Bradbury has like more so than anyone on this roster, in my opinion, from the defensive backs. He has ball skills. Like even Adore, you'd think the former, you know, former receiver, former kick return should have better ball skills. Nope. I think it's Bradbury and he showed it on this play. Yeah, he definitely did. And the Giants pre-snap right before the Saints snapped the football. They're in like a cover four type of look, four deep type of look. And the the safety to the strong or yeah, to safety to the field ends up dropping down aggressively to to kind of take on the flat, buzzing down to the flat and looking at Alvin Kamara, who's running in that direction. And this Deontay Harris runs kind of a similar route for Mark West Calloway. He stems outside, gets to about the bottom of the numbers, and then plants back inside to manipulate Logan Ryan again, try to get that with the, because there's another route coming from the backside who's kind of also running towards Ryan in a three deep look. Now, James Bradbury easily kind of recovers from him turning his hips towards the sideline. Logan Ryan is also in position here, and you're right. O'Shane Zimenez gets good pressure off the backside here. Taysom Hill kind of feels it. Leonard Williams is coming in. I do not know what Taysom Hill is doing here. I mean, you have a little bit of leverage. If if he were to lead the ball and have just incredible arm strength, lead the ball to like the 10-yard line in the middle of the field, he may have been able to, to hit Deontay Harris in stride. But this is just a bad throw. It died on him, and James Bradbury is in perfect position to intercept it. Yep, and it's a big play because Huge. at that point, it's 14-10 Saints. If they're getting into range for a touchdown, ultimately that might end up being – the difference if the Giants, you know, take that ball at the end and can't drive it for a touchdown. So we move past to the next drive. Giants punt. Saints go 13 plays, or I'm sorry, 11 plays, 63 yards, two up six minutes a clock and score a touchdown. This is the drive we were talking about last podcast where, again, bad examples of tackling another eight-yard touchdown run by Daysom Hill to stop, you know, to, to cap off this drive. I mean, they were finding yards all throughout the drive in the run game. Camaro was really chewing up yards. Um, they, you know, had some plays out there, two in a row, I think, with Camaro. No, two of the three plays in a row, nine-yard chunks. Any key takeaways from this drive? Yeah, I mean, the Giants struggled with the run a little bit at the end of the first half, like we talked about, but the Saints really took it to the defense uh, here in that 11 play, as you said, 63-yard drive. They had two passes on the drive, Dan. And, and, I, and then, like I said, man, like we've been saying the entire time, I get what the Saints were doing. Uh, and I'm not surprised. They were up three points driving the ball after a turnover. So they didn't want to be risky here. They, this is where they brought in Clapp, the backup center, as a as a big tight end, if you will, power package. Sometimes they put Taysom Hill back there at quarterback and ran quarterback power with him. And the Giants had, and Patrick Ram combated this by using a lot of four down fronts here. This is when they started kind of coming out with a four down front but they were losing the physicality battle up front. And I don't think Crowder was terrible in this game, as I've said several times, but he has to finish tackles as well. I mean, he did a great job on one play, getting outside and positioning himself one-on-one against Alvin Kamara, but he just slid off the tackle. You need to be able to make the tackle in those situations because I think Kamara ended up picking up four yards and four yards is the difference between punting the football and and another, another exhausting three plays of the opposing offense, jamming the football down your throat. So I would like to see a little bit better tackling there. And, and to me, this is just a, a drive that would typically defeat the morale of a team. You know what I'm saying? But the yep, Giants, I mean. Exactly what you're saying by that. Exactly, man. And, and they didn't allow it to happen, man. And to me, that says something really special about the resiliency displayed after physically being defeated by your opponent, yet still being able to come back and win this football game. It was, it was uh, definitely encouraging. Yeah, normally that would demoralize a team, but the Giants offense was geared up and ready to attack with their back against the wall. I will say this, you know, I praised Patrick Graham for his style of defense. Let them run on you, let them run on you, but you got to tackle in the red zone. If you're going to play that style, you got to be physical in the red zone. You got to be bend, don't break. You got to turn those into field goal drives. And twice now it was uh, Taysom Hill cashing in with the touchdown. Anyway, Giants then force a key punt, three plays, eight yards on the next one from the Saints. And then they force another punt after their big touchdown. So back-to-back really good drives. Anything that stood out to you from there? Yeah, that first one was such 
such a quality defensive stand from the Giants. They allow a seven-yard run to Kamara on first down, and you're like, oh, geez, here we go again, you know? And then on that second down, Austin Johnson just tosses 7-5 to the ground, man. He just tosses him to the ground to set up a third and two where Ojalari and Lorenzo Carter stuffed Taysom Hill on a quarterback power run. I mean, that was those were excellent plays from both those players right there. And that ended up setting up the one play drive from the giants where Saquon Barkley caught the 54 yard touchdown. And at this point, the giants are down by 11 and the Saints just rushed the ball on first down for seven yards. And they were able to come up with two huge plays. If there is one play that is unheralded in this game, it's that second down play by Austin Johnson. That was an excellent shed, put himself right where he needed to be and made a strong tackle on Alvin Kamara. I mean, dude, this entire these these two defensive stands speak volumes about the personnel and the character of this now one and three team, in my opinion. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. It's, these are huge stands in the game, huge stands that give them chance themselves a chance to win. Those are the end of the game because the Saints never got the ball back. I want to talk a little bit about the coverages the Giants played because. They ended up playing a little bit more man on third downs, but it still was a, a ton of, you know, zone coverage on a cover three looks, a lot of stuff that, you know, we've seen so far this season. Is that something you expected to see going into it, given the matchup, or is that something you expect to see moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I expected them to play cover three, try to cheat that safety down into the box, create another, uh, create another defender in the box. Just a little bit of a run advantage because the Saints were going to run the football. So I'm not surprised by that. They also played some cover six, some quarters, some quarter, quarter, half, which is cover six. So it's similar to the defenses that we've seen a lot throughout the year. Some man coverage here and there. I felt like there was a more cover three in this game. I don't have any numbers to substantiate that just going off of my eye test. But I felt like there was more cover three in this game than there have been earlier in 2021. But I will say 2020, there was a lot of cover three. So it's something that Patrick Graham loves to use. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. What else did you want to talk about with the defense before we get into some awards? Anything else that specifically we haven't touched on just yet? Yeah. So the defense, I think we, I think we talked about the coverages and everything that the giants were running and what the saints tried to combat. We talked about the chess game match between Sean Payton and Patrick Graham in terms of personnel and trying to run on these linebackers. So I say we just get into these long awaited superlatives. All right, let's dive into it. Where do you want to start here, Nick? Let's let's talk about uh, where where would you want to start here? Unheralded player of the game. Let's go to unheralded player, my man. Okay, give me your unheralded player of the game. Let's start there. Yeah, for me, it's Austin Johnson. Austin Johnson had a really good game once again. I, I just talked about that play that he made earlier on the third and two, but there were at least four other ones that jumped out where he was making quality tackles at the line of scrimmage or just beyond the line of scrimmage. And he's also doing a little bit as a pass rusher. That's not his game necessarily, but he's stepping into Dalvin Tomlinson's role and, and filling it, I would say, nicely. He's nowhere near the talent of Dalvin Tomlinson. He doesn't have that in his profile, in my opinion, but he's definitely a... Uh, a good replacement for Dalvin Thomas and a cheaper type of option. And I think he's outplaying Danny Shelton significantly. I like that call. I think he played, I think this was his best game of the season. I haven't been too keen on him at all times this year, but I thought this was a good example of that. I'm going to give it to Tate Crowder because Tate Crowder was asked to do a lot. Like you said, there's a lot put on his plate and he seemed to figure out a good system for playing a pretty solid game here, given all the circumstances. He wasn't totally out of position a lot of times. He wasn't a massive liability. Yeah, the Giants got chewed up in some ways on the ground in this game, but I don't know if I'm going to give him massive, you know, I'm going to call him the reason for that. So ultimately, really good game from him as well. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I think um, I think Reggie Ragland deserves to be talked about too now. He's somebody that he's not, you know, fleet of foot, not the most athletic linebacker. We got that, but he was putting himself into position quite often. And I felt like he did an excellent job dipping either his inside or his outside shoulder, depending on when the, where the block was coming from. And then using his hand to kind of swat away the arm of the blockers to set himself into a position where he can make and execute a tackle. And he's a pretty darn solid tackler as well. And I think there was one play, I think I had it in my notes, but I don't have the timestamps, unfortunately. I think it was the goal line, the first touchdown to, to Taysom Hill, he got absolutely planted on that play. It did not look great. I could be wrong on the play, but he got planted on a play in this game that ended the drive. And then on the next drive, he came out and made two great plays. So it just shows the pride that he had that he took, you know, like Michael Jordan, Dan, he took that stuff personally, you know, and then he ended mm -hmm. up coming out here and, and making two really big plays on the next drive that kind of helped lead to a punt. So I, I was, uh, I was glad to see that. 
Yep, no doubt about it. Give me your best individual play of the game. I'm going to go with the Dexter Lawrence play. And I know it's uh, – and I can go with several. The Adoree Jackson one comes to mind. There, there, there are a lot that, that kind of come to my mind. But the Dexter Lawrence play was just Dexter Lawrence, and it probably saved 25 yards and possibly points on the board for the Saints' first drive, which would have set a precedent at home against an 0-3 team led by a, a young coaching staff and a, and a young team just in general. So I'm going to go with that play by Dexter Lawrence where he read the screen and tackled Tony Jones. Yeah, we have the same play on this one, so – Nothing too crazy for me on that end, but I agree with you. That was just such an excellent play. All right, let's get to players who struggled the most on film. Someone you you know you thought struggled here. I'm gonna go with Jabril Peppers, man. I'm gonna go JP. Uh, mainly, I mean, he, he didn't play that many sna- snaps. He only put he played less than twenty, and I think he might have been dealing with some sort of injury as well. But Peppers is struggling in coverage, man. He is not the man covering defensive back the Giants think they have in him he he struggles with double moves he's not that decisive his his reactionary quickness i would say is marginal at best i i, I think uh he's been a letdown in terms of covering tight ends and he allowed juan johnson to beat him in the red zone and seems to make a lot of mistakes in coverage when it matters most so sadly i'm gonna go with jabril peppers and uh i do love though his enthusiasm when the giants won the coin toss that was definitely something that was a uh, fun to see yeah definitely something that was interesting from Peppers. I'm going to go with Xavier McKinney here. He's the most disappointing player for me on film in this game. I think with McKinney, we saw an example of what we saw in week one where he got burnt on a deep post, uh, deep, deep route pattern to KJ Hamler. Hamler dropped it, so kind of got lucky on that one. Not to get – it could have been a lot worse. But on this one, it's a similar example where he got burnt deep and – you could see Logan Ryan even on the play. He's not exactly sure what is happening and why David McKinney's not traveling with him. For me, with McKinney, he's had missed tackles in this game. The instincts still look there. Like he still looks like I'm not giving up on him at all. I still think there's a super bright future for him, but it may just not happen as quickly as I hope for and as quickly as I expected with him. Because while the instincts are still there, the instincts of a potential great safety, he's missing tackles. He's not making the plays I want in coverage, and he's having lapses in coverage that are just. Not just things I wouldn't have expected from him, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, the the main lapse is the one touchdown to Kenny Stills. I don't know what he was doing on that play, why he didn't match the route of Kenny Stills, who was splitting the middle of the field open, cover two defense the Giants was in. Like, I just don't, I just don't understand what he was looking at there. Yeah, me either. I don't know. That's the main play that really stood out. Obviously, the missed tackles as well. Don't think he's there yet. All right, give me a grade on the pass rush. The pass rush, yeah, I'm going to go with a a 4.3, I think. It it wasn't great. They're not winning one-on-ones. I felt like Patrick Ram was using, you know, stunts and twists, like a lot of the coordinators do, not as many as Dennis Allen, who loved using stunts and twists and did it in a variety of different fashions. I I liked one with Dexter Lawrence as the penetrator, just shooting the B-gap and having Leonard Williams, who was the end, just loop right around him right to replace him right into the gap. And I, I thought that was a really nice one and something that Patrick Graham has used. It's one that I hope he uses more often because I think it's dangerous with your two best defensive linemen. But um, they weren't getting after Jameis that much, but a lot of that is because the Saints weren't really throwing the football all that often. And when they right. did, they were just getting the football out of his hands. So it's a little bit hard to quantify, but with all those things considered, I'll go with, I'll go with that 4.3. It's so hard to rank these because, like you said, there's so much quick game in NFL right now, and this was another game with a ton of quick game. Like you said, they got the ball out of his hand so fast, so early, so often. But still, there's they're not winning enough one-on-ones. Interior guys are not taking the steps I'd hoped with Dexter Lawrence. Even at times, like Leonard Williams had some nice pass rushes, but not for $25 million against the Cat. Nice. I mean, it was okay. It just wasn't great from that standpoint. So, And then on the edges, it's the same story really there as well. Uh, not not the jump I was hoping for and expecting from Lorenzo Carter, by the way. Not yet, at least. And so I'll give it a 3.9 there. How about the run defense? I have the run defense as a 4.3 as well. I mean, again, you got to consider the entire context, the game plan of the New Orleans Saints, what they were trying to do, how they kept pounding the rock and kept doing it and kept going back to it. And how the Giants were forced to respond. I mean, I could probably even go lower since they did surrender a lot of yards on the ground, but they weren't allowing the team to pass on them. And they were... They made big plays when it mattered, I felt like. When they realized the momentum was swinging back into the Giants' favor because of what the Giants' offense was doing, they were able to come up big in those situations. So that has me at a 4.3. That's fair. 
I think I'd, I'd give him a 4.1 overall just when you give up that many yards on the ground. Even if your game plan is kind of catered to it, you know, catered to giving up some yards on the ground, they still had some really poor tackling, specifically in the red zone. That's what dropped the grade for me. Anything else on the defense before we wrap up? No, I think this has been a, a good good overview of what the Giants were doing. They're going to have their hands full. They're, they're really going to have their hands full against the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Because Dallas can throw the ball on you. Dallas can run the ball on you. If the Giants try to go too high, they'll just hand the ball off to Pollard and Zeke. If the Giants try to try to load the box a little bit, which is something that we haven't seen from them pre-snap at least all that often, then they're going to hit CeeDee Lamb and they're going to find Amari Cooper. And you have to worry about those tight ends underneath. I mean, there's just so many weapons, not to mention a really good offensive line and Dak Prescott, who's like a top seven, top eight quarterback in the league right now, maybe even better. So it's a, it's a scary matchup on the road. Yeah, I think Dak Prescott's playing like an easy top five right now, to be completely honest with you. From what I've seen, his processing, his ball placement, everything about what he's put on film to me is even better than top seven, top eight. And I'll say this, this is a big game for judge for me, Nick. We're, we're going a little off topic here. We're not doing all 22 defense in this regard, but it's a big judge game because he needs, I want to see something from judge here. I want to see something like that Cleveland game he had last year. You know, let it go. Come out here and understand that you have to be aggressive. Understand you have to attack. Understand that playing this game not to lose has no gives you no chance of winning. This won't be a situation where you're going to beat the Cowboys 24 to 21 or 28 to 21 or 27 to 21. You're going to have to score. And you're going to have to try to score early and often. Do not be playing for field position. Do not be punting in spots where you need to be aggressive. That's my plan here because this is not an offense you can afford to do that against. They'll make a mockery of it. The Cowboys have been scoring 30 points at will. So you cannot try to outfuel position this and try to rely on your defense. This is a big game for Judge for me. I have not liked at all what I've seen from Judge in game so far this year. I think he's prepared them pretty well. Not out on Judge or anything like that. I don't really like him that much, and I'm not out on him. But his in-game coaching to me, it's a problem not because of individual instances. It's a problem because of an overall philosophy that scares the hell out of me right now. And it's hard to argue against because he's put it on film over and over and over again through these first two seasons. And this will be a big test in my mind for him. He's going to have to play this thing aggressively. He's going to have to come out and try to win this football game from the start and not try to, you know, not try to play for field position. So I'm really interested to see if the Giants offense can keep up with the Cowboys because this is that type of game. They're going to have to try to win this one in a shootout. Yeah, they, they very well might have to win this one in a shootout. And hopefully it's not the same result as week five last year. Dallas. Yeah, exactly. All right, Nick, that's all we have for today. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. As always, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe again. That's the best way to do it. Follow us on YouTube. We're going to pump out a lot of good YouTube content coming up. So follow us there on YouTube. You can find us on YouTube at Big Blue Banter over there. As well as that, as well as the YouTube page, you can follow us on Instagram as well. NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.